Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have three other podcasts out there. Coast to Coast, which releases every single Thursday and looks at the building of the Transcontinental Railway. From John to Justin, which releases every single Friday and looks at every single Prime Minister in Canadian history. Currently, I'm on part two, the opposition leaders who never became prime minister. And of course, I have Canada's Great War, which looks at Canada in the First World War, and it releases every single Friday. All are available on all podcast platforms. I do all of these podcasts full-time, the writing, the research, everything. So, whenever you donate money, it goes straight to me and helps keep it all going. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. It was an event 100 years in the making, and it was the moment that Canadians suddenly showed an immense pride in their country, and for an entire year they celebrated it. It was the Canadian centennial in 1967 when, from coast to coast, Canadians of all types celebrated The preparations for the centennial began years earlier, but I am only going to be talking about the country from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. I also won't talk much about Expo 67 because I'll be devoting an entire episode to that huge event on July 24th. The planning for the centennial celebration began in January 1963 when Prime Minister John Diefenbaker appointed a committee chaired by C.M. Drury to look at making the 100th anniversary a memorable occasion for the country. With the formation of the Centennial Commission, things started to kick off. Diefenbaker had a deep pride in the country, and he likely believed that he would still be Prime Minister in 1967, but that would not be. The same year the Centennial Commission was created, he was ousted as Prime Minister, allowing Prime Minister Lester B. Pearson to come in and remain in power for the next five years. The Centennial Commissioner would be John Fisher, who was also called Mr. Canada as a result. Even with the change in government, Lester B. Pearson did not change anything about the commission, and things would continue on with the Liberals in power. The government did not want the centennial celebrations to just be something that happened on July 1st, although that day was going to be a major focus due to it being Canada Day. With the goal of making it nationwide and year-long, 
The Federal Centennial Commission put aside $25 million or nearly $200 million today for the celebration. Each dollar spent on a centennial event by a community was matched not only dollar for dollar by the federal government, but the provincial government as well. Across the country, centennial projects would spring up, and I'll get to those a little later. Everything kicked off on December 31, 1966, when Prime Minister Lester B. Pearson and Secretary of State Judy LaMarche, along with John Diefenbaker and thousands of others, lit the gas-powered centennial flame. And so at last, the moment is at hand. And for this very special occasion, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation has assembled the most extensive broadcast network ever known in Canada to enable as many people as possible to join us for this historic moment. And there is our centennial flame. centennial flame has been lit and it will burn throughout 1967 as a symbol not only of our centennial but also of the spirit of our confederation. Now to address the nation, the Right Honorable the Prime Minister, Mr. Lester Pearson. Madam Secretary of State, Mr. Diefenbaker, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, one hundred years ago, a new country, our country, was born. And for this we honor men of vision and purpose and high endeavor. Lesser men would have failed, or more likely would not have tried at all. One hundred years later, on Parliament Hill in Canada's capital, with the lighting of this flame, and with pride in our present and faith in our future, we open officially our centennial celebrations. At the same time, communities across Canada held parades, lit fireworks, and had bell ringing and lighting ceremonies. In Toronto, a parade and fireworks show drew 40,000 people. In Bozeman, Montana, the town celebrated the centennial and its first sewage system by staging a bonfire of 33 outhouses. Cliff Nowen, a police officer and sewage plant operator in town, would say as he lit the bonfire, quote, The time has come to bid farewell to old and beloved friends who have held up their ends throughout the years. End quote. The Centennial Voyageur Canoe Pageant would be launched on May 24, 1967 from the Rocky Mountains, with ten teams representing eight provinces and two territories. The racers would travel 5,283 kilometers over the course of 104 days, paddling and portaging across the country. Upon arriving in Ottawa on August 29th, Joe Green, the agricultural minister, would say, quote, After seeing so many of these flabby fellows around Parliament Hill, it is good to see there are still some rugged Canadians around. End quote. On September 4th, the canoers arrived in Montreal. Manitoba recorded the fastest accumulated time, finishing in 507 hours, 21 minutes, and 51 seconds. In 2010, the Manitoba crew, most of whom came from Flin Flon, were inducted into the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame. 
and noticed the slipping, and there wasn't a single effort missed in that slip across as they came around that turn, the outside men leaning well out, the inside men paddling closer, closer than ever to the gunnels. The two leaders are around the final buoy and heading to the finish line to our right. Ontario is making the turn. As the crowd in our background starts to set up the applause. Bob, I guess a good two, two and a half boat lengths uh, open water between Manitoba. And that uh, sliding, that shifting, lost them just a little bit. BC is digging in. We have a few people from the Midwest with us, obviously. The Manitoba crew is across as the gun sounds. And the overall champion is the sprint champion here on Regatta Lake today. The second gun indicates the crossing of the finish line by British Columbia. Norm, why is that Manitoba team so very good? Well, that's kind of hard to say, Lloyd. I think you could probably attribute it to the fact that the fellows have been doing a lot of paddling on their own for many years in uh, two-man canoes in the professional racing circuit in Canada. And it's just a big conglomeration of a lot of, uh, a lot of effort and a lot of teamwork all put together in one canoe. Where do most of them come from? Uh, our whole team, except for one fellow, is from uh, Flinflon. He's from Winnipeg. Do they have more opportunity to paddle up in northern Manitoba than they would in the south? I wouldn't say more opportunity, uh, Lloyd, but they sure apply themselves in the uh, a lot of waters and a lot of lakes that we do have up there. What's been the most exciting part of this pageant for you? Oh, at the first, I think, when the, we were racing the long laps, and now at the end, when uh, the long laps are over and we had to race one, now these sprints that uh, seem to be taking the whole spotlight. Everybody's in good shape, and... Uh, pretty hard to beat somebody. There's a lot of excitement in those. The race still holds the record for the longest canoeing race in history, and the winning team was awarded $1,500 per man, while $500 went for second and third place. One of the most recognizable aspects of the Centennial is the Centennial logo. The logo was designed by Stuart Ash, who created the unique maple leaf out of 11 equilateral triangles that represented Canada's 10 provinces and territories. The symbol was designed by him while he worked for the Toronto firm Cooper & Beatty Limited. Soon, the symbol was everywhere in Canada. Over 700,000 small centennial flags, 85,000 full-size flags, 225,000 table flags, 1,400 giant banners, 30,000 posters, 96,000 stick-on emblems, and 4.5 million lapel pins were sold with that symbol on it. In fact, in my office right behind me while I record is a large centennial flag that I found at an antique shop just a few months ago. The Centennial Medal was created and issued on July 1, 1967 to recognize those who made a contribution to Canada as a whole. Designed by Bruce Beattie, it was a circular silver medal on a white and red ribbon. Of the 29,500 medals that were issued, 30% went to the Canadian Armed Forces. The Order of Canada was also created during the centennial year, established on April 17, 1967. The first inductee was Governor General Roland Missioner on July 1st, while 90 more people were appointed on July 7th, including former Prime Minister Louis Saint Laurent, former Governor General Vincent Massey, pioneering neurosurgeon Wilder Penfield, painter Alex Colville, and hockey icon Maurice the Rocket Richard. The Governor-General has announced the names of the first people to receive the Companion of Order of Canada Awards and Medals of Service. There are now 35 Companions of the Order and 55 winners of the Medal of Service. 
Winners have been chosen from people in the arts, sciences, public service, church, business, labor unions, sports, and local government. The investiture will be held in Ottawa this fall with appropriate ceremonies. Among those named today was Dr. Wilfred Pelliche, who has been associated with the Montreal Symphony Orchestra since 1930. CBC Newsman Dave Struthers asked Dr. Pelliche how he felt about receiving the award. feel very honored about that. Uh, you were the first one to call me this morning about that. And uh, uh, though about a month ago, they had asked me, but I didn't know what order it was, if I would accept uh, uh, a, some kind of uh, reward. I said, for what? But they asked, they said, well, for the work you have done. Well, I said, I've done what uh, any uh, artist would do. Can you think of any major event during your lifetime that uh, would merit such an award? Oh, I don't think so. Uh, what I have done, I came here to start the orchestra, Montreal Symphony Orchestra, and it was in very bad shape in those days. And then I started the conservatory, and I think I was uh, uh, fortunate enough to meet great people, great politicians who understood the necessity of doing uh, work like that. Another winner is Madame uh, Therese Casgrain, who has been working with the civil liberties groups and associations for the equality of women for the past 20 years. She had this to say. Well, without any false humility, I feel quite pleased because I think it's always nice to have your country recognize what you've tried to do for it. Is there any single thing in your long efforts for civil liberties and uh, equal rights for women that you think the committee might have recognized? Well, I suppose it's because... Uh, uh, a few years ago, it was under my, uh, when I was a leader of the uh, uh, suffrage movement in Quebec, that we got women's suffrage for the Quebec women, and we got their admission to the bar uh, and to the notarial profession. And maybe this is the aspect that they looked upon it. They looked upon. What do you feel yourself about a system of awards like this being instituted in Canada? Well, I was very pleased because I think that uh, Canada is a wonderful country and i always feel that it's better to have your own country recognize your merits than have another uh, country give you a medal or something companies also jumped on the bandwagon and many looked to copyright the use of the word centennial based on what they were selling hope furniture company out of vancouver actually registered a copyright in 1958 for the use of a centennial in advertising for household furniture and furnishings Imperial Life Assurance Company began to market Centennial Life Insurance, while Peterborough Guns Limited hoped to sell the Canadian Centennial Gun, while John Inglis Company began to market Centennial Washers, Dryers, and Dishwashers. Of course, not every company felt the same way. Brunswick of Canada Limited had been using the word Centennial since 1943, with its 100th anniversary and its Centennial line of products, but it felt doing so in 1967, or copywriting the word, wasn't in the spirit of Canada. The general sales manager, S.J. Mearson, would say, quote, We think it would be dirty pool to do that this year. End quote. It wasn't just medals that were created to celebrate Canada. The Cartier font was designed by typographer Cardair, who spent 10 years creating Canada's first typeface for Roman letters. Named for Jacques Cartier, it was released in January 1967 by the federal government, and it was the typeface that was used for the printing of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in 1982. 
The Confederation train was created for the celebration so that Canada's history could come to Canadians throughout the country. Throughout the year, the train would travel across Canada, hitting every province and territory, and reaching Canadians in dozens of communities. The train was made up of six cars, with each car specializing in one aspect of Canada and its history. The first car was about Canada before the arrival of Europeans. From relating the history of the Ice Ages that dominated the landscape, to the arrival of the First Nations over the Bering Strait, and the impact that the First Nations had on the landscape. Indigenous villages were designed by artists and craftsmen, allowing visitors to see what Canada was like centuries ago. The second car was about the arrival of Europeans beginning with the Vikings and continuing with the French and the English. An electronic map traced the routes of Cabot, Cartier, Hudson and others, while Samuel de Champlain had a life-size statue, which he was holding his astrolobe for residents to look at. A map from 1632 created by Champlain was also on display. In the third car, the era of settlement was celebrated. A drawing room window allowed visitors to see what a typical scene looked like in the 19th century French Canada, and other exhibits displayed the pre-Confederation state of confusion, the isolation of communities and colonies, along with the pressures from the United States. In the Confederation chamber of the car, the centennial symbol is most prominent with the four colored triangles that symbolize the first four provinces in Canada. In the fourth car, the era of 1867 to 1876 was covered, an old printing shop was on display, and Prime Ministers of the day were represented in MacDonald and Mackenzie, while Sitting Bull's rifle and a Sioux headdress were on display, along with a history of the Rio Rebellion, the Hudson's Bay Grant, and the creation of the Northwest Mounted Police. The remainder of the 19th century is represented at the back of the car, including the treaties, the Klondike Gold Rush, and the railway to the west. In Car 5, the first decades of the 20th century are represented from the Boer War, through the establishment of Alberta and Saskatchewan, to the First World War. Visitors were able to go into a dugout roofed by corrugated iron and sandbags to see what it was like to look out to no man's land during the First World War, and newspapers from the start of the Second World War finished off the visit to the car. The Second World War and Prime Minister William Lyon Mackenzie King was represented, as were subsequent Prime Ministers St. Laurent, Diefenbaker and Pearson. Oh, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I liked the, the first car best. Oh, it's just swell. I'm really, I'm really proud. Thank you. I'm very impressed with it. I think it's very nice indeed. I'd like to see a little more of, of sports. A lot of work went into it, and I think it was well worth it. I couldn't say what, you know, in words what it was like. It's just beautiful. What did you like best? Everything. What they're talking about is Canada's Confederation train, opened for public exhibition for the first time today here in Victoria. The reactions were uniform, wonderful, great, marvelous, and what a sight the train is to see. And that's it, at least one centennial project is already a resounding success. Norman Depot, CBC News, Victoria. The idea for the train was actually dreamed up by Prime Minister John Diefenbaker in 1961, as a traveling exhibit that would travel the country. One of the more interesting parts of the train was that the horn played O Canada and that it was pulled by two diesel engines, one owned by the Canadian Pacific Railway and one by the Canadian National Railway. The Confederation train was funded through the Centennial Commission and began its journey from Victoria on January 9, 1967. The train's whistle would first be activated by Bletha Perks, wife of the Lieutenant Governor General of BC, Secretary of State Judy LaMarche, and Mae Bennett, wife of Premier W.A.C. Bennett. 
A total of 1,500 people were at the rail yard to watch the train begin its journey. In addition, 1,000 colored balloons were released and three RCAF jets flew over. During its first week in Victoria, 40,000 people would tour the train. It would then begin its progression through Canada until it reached the Maritimes on October 26, 1967. At that point, it turned around and finished in Montreal on December 5th. In all, 87 communities would be visited across Canada. Over the course of its journey, hundreds of thousands of Canadians would visit the car. In one four-day visit at Sault Ste. Marie, 37,427 citizens toured the car. In Calgary, it would stay for 10 days beginning on March 9th, with 80,000 residents coming out to see the train. For communities that were not reached by the train, there was a centennial caravan made up of tractor trailers that traveled to 655 smaller communities and reached 6.5 million people. In the far north, there was the Confederation Barge, which went up and down the Mackenzie River, visiting communities along the way. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At the Centennial Reign, which separated Alaska from the Yukon, 255 members of the Alpine Club of Canada spent the summer climbing all 13 peaks of the new range. One unique aspect of the Centennial Year was the creation of the Centennial Menu, which was presented to 600 restaurateurs at the annual Canadian Restaurant Association show. The menu was created by a group of cooks looking to span the history of Canadian cuisine. The menu featured pea soup from Quebec, hot apple cider flavored with cloves and cinnamon sticks and served in stone crooks from Nova Scotia, lettuce with sour cream maple syrup dressing from Ontario, smoked and garnished Atlantic salmon from Newfoundland, escalloped potatoes from PEI, green beans and tossed pearl onions with pimentos from New Brunswick, roast beef from Alberta, preserves, dill pickles, pickled red cabbage and spiced apple rings from BC, buttermilk tea biscuits from Saskatchewan, blueberry tort with chocolate sauce from Manitoba, and cheddar cheese from Ontario. Of course, not everyone was a fan of the menu, with one critic stating, quote, It reads a bit as if it all boils down to plain old roast beef and blueberry pie, but then the chefs have fancied it up a bit. End quote. For the big day July 1st, there were many celebrations planned across the country. The biggest event was naturally in Ottawa, where Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip were the guests of honour. They were joined by Prime Minister Lester B. Pearson, other dignitaries, and 50,000 residents. Pages of Canada's history during the last hundred years have hardly been stained by mysterious misfortunes. The problems which faced the statesmen of 1867 and the national problems which have had to be met in the intervening years 
have been solved, with rare and minor exceptions, through discussion and through an effort of tolerance, goodwill, and understanding. When I visited the scenes of those historic discussions at Charlottetown and Quebec three years ago, it came to me how quietly this nation had been created by men sitting around a table. Not the least important service rendered by Sir John MacDonald, Sir George Etienne Cartier, and the other fathers of the Confederation, was this tradition of calm consultation which they established. With the beginning of this new century, the whole Canadian nation embarked on another great voyage. May it bring peace and prosperity, happiness and harmony, and a just reward for the work and endeavor of each one of you. The centerpiece of the celebration was a birthday cake that was six meters high and decorated with the national coat of arms and provincial crests. The queen then cut the cake using a knife that her father, King George VI, used for a similar event in Ottawa in 1939. The part that she cut into was a real cake, but most of the rest of the cake was made of plywood styrofoam covered with 320 kilograms of icing sugar. The Queen was then given a coin by Prime Minister Pearson, which she threw into the fountain of the Centennial Flame. Centennial babies were born on July 1st, and they received money and gifts from the communities they were born in. Of course, the most famous of all the Centennial babies was Pamela Anderson, born at 4.08 a.m. on July 1st in Ladysmith, B.C. At Vancouver's Empire Stadium, 32,000 people watched as Chief Dan George gave his speech titled Lament for Confederation. George would only a few years later become the first Indigenous actor to be nominated for an Academy Award, and his speech remains a landmark moment in Canada's Indigenous history. How long have I known you, Canada? A hundred years? Yes, a hundred years. And many, many times more. And today, when you celebrate your hundred years of Canada, I am sad. For all the Indian people throughout the land. For I have known you when your forests were mine. When they gave me my meat and my clothing. I have known you in your brooks and your rivers, where your fish flashed and danced in the sun, and whose water said, come and eat of my abundance. I have known you in the freedom of your winds, and my spirit, like your winds, once roamed this good land. But in the long hundred years since the white man came, I've seen that freedom disappear, just like the salmon when they mysteriously go out to sea. Canada, also known as the Centennial Song, was created by Bobby Gimby in 1967 to celebrate the centennial as well as Expo 67. 
Written in English and French, the song was recorded by the Young Canada Singers and released by Quality Records. Released in the third week of January, it sold out its first shipment of 25,000 albums almost instantly. Over the course of the year, it would sell a record of 270,000 copies. It stayed at number one for two weeks in the top 100 singles in Canada in April and was the most successful single in Canada for that year. Secretary of State Judy LaMarge would present Gimby with a gold record in April, and over the year, Gimby walked so much in parades and in leading children in the song that he wore out four pairs of shoes, and he travelled across the country four times on personal appearances. In 1971, Gimby donated all royalties to the Boy Scouts of Canada, but by that point it only earned one cent per airplay, one of the lowest rates in the world. The Victoria Times colonist would write, quote, in a country where nationalism was always regarded as a foreign disorder, a song called Canada is suddenly the all-time bestseller. End quote. Another song that was commissioned by the government was the Canadian Railroad Trilogy, written by Gordon Lightfoot and broadcast on January 1, 1967. It took Lightfoot three days to write and compose the song, and it would appear on his album The Way I Feel, released later that year. The song describes the building of the railroad, highlighting the optimism of the railroad age, the cost and sweat and blood, and the efforts of the navies in building the railroad. Pierre Burton, author of The Last Spike, would say to Lightfoot in later years, quote, You did more good with your damn song than I did with my entire book on the same subject. End quote. Queen Elizabeth II would tell Lightfoot upon meeting him that she enjoyed the song, and in 2001 the song was named one of Canada's master works by the audiovisual Preservation Trust of Canada. Some people looked for unique ways to celebrate the centennial. Hank Gallant decided to walk from Victoria to Newfoundland, singing his own songs along the way. He began his journey on February 6th, dipping his toe into the water of the Pacific Ocean, and most people didn't take it seriously, but he kept at it. On March 9th, he crossed into Alberta, and at this point, newspapers began to follow his progress. At Oak Lake, Manitoba, the principal of the school cancelled all classes so students could greet him as he walked into the community. On May 1st, he endured his ninth blizzard and arrived in Winnipeg, and he would tell the Winnipeg Free Press, quote, I can't offer any centennial project a thousand bucks. This is what I have to offer as an individual centennial project. It proves to the outside world that Canadians themselves are doing something about the centennial, not only governments, with their libraries and statues, end quote. In late September, he crossed through New Brunswick, and on November 13th, after 280 days, he arrived at the Atlantic Ocean in St. John's, Newfoundland. These are tailor-made boots. Every 200 miles, I had to put a new sole on them and, and steel clickers. Okay, 
lot of snowstorms and blizzards. 67 was a bad year for, for uh, winter, eh? Once a week, I went and took a cheap room for uh, bats. I could have a bat or a shower. The rest of the week, six days, I, I slept outside. It was a great journey. Philip Mullen would walk from Halifax to Vancouver in 131 days, taking with him his German shepherd Bruno, who wore felt shoes. Others crossed the country on horseback, roller skates, and more. Bill Hardman made 100 consecutive free-fall parachute jumps to set a world record, only taking the occasional 20-minute coffee break. On average, he conducted a jump every 8 minutes, and Hardman would say, quote, When I landed in the target area, I would walk or run to a pickup vehicle and then ride back to the airstrip about 300 yards away where the plane was waiting, end quote. At 9.30 p.m., 17 hours after he started jumping, 10,000 people were on hand to applaud him as he made his 100th jump. Another individual flew to the North Pole and placed a centennial flag there. In the Northwest Territories, the Mackenzie River Barge brought a Ferris wheel to the territories for the first time, while in Gravelberg, Saskatchewan, they created a 130-mile centennial wagon train journey along the old mountain trail. Arguably one of the most famous events was the bathtub races from Nanaimo to Fisherman's Cove. The rules for the race, which was set for July 30th, were simple. The racers had to use a bathtub, no outboard motors more than 6 horsepower were allowed, and each pilot had to have a life jacket and can swim 200 yards, and each tub had to have an escort craft with it. One month before the race day, 130 people had signed up and the number would keep growing as the big race approached. Frank Ney, the organizer of the event, would say on July 29th, quote, We have bathtub enthusiasts from all over Canada entered, and the tubs are still rolling into town. There were bathtubs all over the harbour the other night practicing, end quote. The first tub to cross the finish line was Rusty Hamilton's tub, which crossed the finish line at 3 hours and 16 minutes. Only 46 tubs made it across the strait, with the last one crossing the line 30 hours after the race started. The event would become an annual race, and it's earned Nanaimo the title of being the bathtub racing capital of the world. And at the end of the year, things ended just as it began on Parliament Hill. While the plan was to extinguish the centennial flame, the decision was made due to public opinion to keep it alight, and it now marks the emergence of Canada as a mature and self-confident nation. I'm going to end this episode by looking at the things that became a lasting legacy of Canada's centennial, the Centennial Projects. In Alberta, the province offered $2.5 million in matching funds to Confederation Memorial Projects. Edmonton would use that money to build the Provincial Museum and Archives of Alberta. The Edmonton Flying Club would build the Edmonton Aviation Hall of Fame, with work commencing on the project on June 28, 1967. The Alberta Native Centennial Festival would be one of the first centennial events held in Edmonton, was organized by Tom Cardinal and it featured dancers, special performances, and more to celebrate our Indigenous history. But arguably the most famous centennial project in Alberta, and possibly Canada, is the UFO landing pad that was built in St. Paul and continues to sit there to this day, waiting for when aliens and others will arrive. The project cost $14,000 and was designed by Alex Mayer, an engineer from Edmonton. Wally Polinski, one of the organizers of the landing pad, would say at the time, quote, Everybody was getting in on the Centennial Act, so we decided we had to do something too. 
Maybe we had too many beers. I never thought this would happen. End quote. The chairman of the town centennial committee, John Legace, pushed for the landing pad to be completed by May 15th because on July 30th, 1967, Mars was at its closest point to Earth, and he would say, quote, We have the Northern Alberta Radio Association helping us out. Every night they beam signals in space telling people out there that we are building this pad and will welcome them. End quote. St. Paul is Centennial Town, Canada in all but name. Anyone without a project here isn't in, and the farther out the project is, the better. The town fathers set the pace by building a landing pad for unidentified flying objects. It turned out to be such a big tourist attraction that space sounds were piped in to add realism. So far, the only low-flying UFOs to be lured down are the paper variety popular with the kids. But the local citizens are sure that even the Martians won't be able to resist their Western hospitality for long. To make the expected celestial visitors feel at home, flying saucers have started to sprout in backyards. One businessman donated a bus called the Martian Express to take care of earthly transportation problems. Until the little green men arrive, it'll be used by senior citizens and local sports groups. Since the landing pad first put St. Paul on the map, everybody's got the centennial bug. 6,000 centennial toques have been made by a group of housewives and shipped all over the world. Plans are in the works to pave the street in front of Samuel de Champlain's birthplace in Brouage, France. Centennial suntans are a fad among the youngsters. Local food merchants have prepared menus that include such out-of-this-world delicacies as Saturn salads. At the town's recreation center, a small donation rings an old mission bell brought west by Roman Catholic missionaries 125 years ago. St. Paul is trying to represent Canada's centennial spirit in microcosm. That bell rings out for brotherhood on Earth and someday even for outer space, says Mayor Jules Van Brabant, and brotherhood is what we think the centennial is all about. Ab Douglas, CBC News, St. Paul. In Victoria, the Confederation Garden Court on Signal Hill was built, along with the Archives Library and Auditorium. The Calgary Stampede would also celebrate by expanding itself to nine days and billing it as the greatest birthday party of all. In Lethbridge, the Nika Yuko Centennial Garden was opened, the largest authentic Japanese garden outside of Japan. On Cape Breton Island, the Miners' Tribute Museum would be created using money raised by the community and money from the government for its centennial project. In Sarnia, Ontario, they opened a centennial park in front of 3,000 residents on July 3, 1967. The local paper there, the Sarnia Observer, also celebrated the centennial by delivering a live tree with every newspaper. Across the country, the centennial tree planting ceremonies also allowed children to plant trees that would still be growing 50 years later and beyond. Two films were also released, The Hundredth Summer and Helicopter Canada, which showcased the celebrations of the country, and you can watch them on the National Film Board app and website. Several other provinces used the money for arts and culture centres, theatres, science and technology centres, concert halls and more. And not all projects were big and noticeable. Redcliffe, Alberta used the money to build a library, while seven persons nearby to Redcliffe used the money to build a changing room for its skating rink. Across the country, 860 communities took part in using funds for some sort of improvement or special structure in the community. In all, $90 million was spent by governments and regular citizens on centennial projects, which would amount to $705 million today. In High Prairie, Alberta, a time capsule was put into the ground on October 20th to be opened in 2017. Inside the capsule was a letter from the mayor, an aerial photograph of the town, a phone book, a spring catalogue from Eaton's, 
and an edition of Time magazine from August 18, 1967. The capsule was opened on August 19, 2017, with 250 people gathered in the town, including several who were there in 1967 to see it buried. Glenda Groom would say, quote, I recall it being a grand event. School kids were brought out to attend. The kids all thought it was a great break from school, and when I think about it now, it was a smart decision on the town's part, as we were the generation most likely to be here for the opening. End quote. The time capsule and its items now sit at the museum in town. Toronto would host its first Caravana Festival, which has become the largest street festival in North America with 2 million visitors each year. Toronto's West Indian community put in their own money for the festival, and Dr. J.A. Liverpool, who is the head of the board of directors for the event, would say, quote, The Centennial gave us an opportunity to give back something to this country. No other cause could have united West Indians so completely. Politicians have failed in the past, but Canada has brought us all together. End quote. The entire year was unlike anything Canada had seen before. John Fisher would say of the year, quote, I think Canadians suddenly realize the land they live in is something to brag about. I even think that the eternal search for the Canadian identity is over. I don't know what it is yet, but I think we found it this year. End quote. I will close out this episode with a quote from Jim Lillies, who helped burn those outhouses in Bozeman on the beginning of the centennial year. He said to describe the year, quote, Something intangible happened. All sort of barriers between people, social, religious, and so on, seemed to break down when people started working on our centennial projects. End quote. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Canada's centennial. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website. We will find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And don't forget, you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month, just like all of these wonderful patrons have. And I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Randy Hayden. Doug Campbell, Reg W, Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Randall McCallum, Diane Wade, Lorianne Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S, JP Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37. Information comes from the year Canadians lost their minds and found their country. Canadian Encyclopedia, Indigenous Corporate Training, Wikipedia, City of Edmonton, CBC, Canada's History, Maclean's, Ottawa Citizen, The National Post, and The Windsor Star. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.